We're starting a new series this afternoon called Falling Forward. And um, it's a series that I think is important to us as Christians because we like the idea of success. But actually, the truth is about the way we live our lives, so often we learn quite a lot through failure. We like God on the mountaintop. We're not always keen to have him in the valley. We like the abundance. We're not always blessed by the desert. But God uses all of our circumstances and all of our situations to his advantage because from the minute we connect with him, even prior to that, he has a plan that he is working out and walking through with us so that we can become all that he has predestined us to be. Aren't you grateful about that? So my question to you this afternoon is simply this. What if we saw our failures and setbacks from a new perspective? Saw them as opportunities to grow. Moments in our life where God could do something exceptional with us and for us. Now Paul reminds us that even though we hate failure, God somehow has a way of causing us to flourish in the middle of it. He says this in Romans 8 verse 28. For in all things, say all things. Yes, indeed all things. Even the worst day of your life. Even the worst choice you've ever made. Even the worst circumstance you've ever faced. In all things, God works for good. For those who love him. And who have been called to his purpose. How reassuring is that to someone like me that has failed so many times? In fact, I would term myself as a fabulous failure. Maybe I should get a hashtag in front of that. But the reality is that failure is part of humanity. The good news is that we fail when we attempt to do something that's often phenomenal, really, in its potential. And if you didn't pursue something, you wouldn't have the problem with failure. So it tells me a little bit that our lives are moving in a direction that's good. I want to tell you this afternoon that you can fail at everything and still become the best. If I were to look across the music industry which I grew up in, more often than not people would deem themselves as a failure until one day somebody thinks they're fabulous. The good thing about walking with Jesus is he thinks we're fabulous whether we're failures or we're not. Some of the people I've worked with would say something like this. It's taken me 40 years to be an overnight sensation. And it's true that there are times and seasons when our star seems to rise, but there are times and seasons when things are difficult. So what can we do in the midst of failure? What is the invitation from God in the midst of failure. I have found that if we embrace an invitation from God in failure, we start to discover something about his nature and something about his character that actually can change the whole course of our lives. As you read through the scriptures, you'll see that many, many times people who've had great experiences with God often find him at the depth of their despair or their brokenness. So failure seems to be something that God can use to our advantage and to his. And the good news for us this afternoon is this, that God loves to redeem. So no matter how bad it gets or how stupid I've been, 
And trust me, both of those can happen on the same day or even in the same breath. God loves to redeem. There is a redeemer and his name is Jesus Christ. I love this phrase that he gives us beauty for ashes. When we lived in Somerset, we would have a real fire. I know it's a bit of a rarity in London and you have all kinds of regulations, but actually where we lived, we could burn whatever we liked. And so we burned the neighbors. We burned anything that we liked. But actually in the morning when the fire had taken its course, you're left with ash and it looked very unproductive or it didn't seem to have any value. In fact, there was probably nothing you could do other than throw it on maybe some of your plants. Apparently it can help with things that need to grow. So out of ash, God brings restoration. I don't know what state your life is in this afternoon, but it's probably not quite at that state. There are a number of people we could focus in this afternoon looking at through the scriptures who have been fabulous failures. We can join our hearts with theirs on their adventure as they seek to become restored and renewed in the things of God. We can examine the things they've learned and the things that God gave them to help them through that process of recovery and restoration. But there is none more excellent to study than the man we call Elijah. If you have a Bible with you, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, in case you haven't seen me in these before, I need these to read. Is that okay? You could reach out and pray for divine healing for my eyes, but I think while we're waiting for that to happen, we'll just read with the glasses. Is that okay? I just want to tell you I hate glasses. Please, please, not because I'm vain. Trust me, I'm past vain. I'm 58. But I hate that I can't see you when I put them on. And I have to keep doing this all the time. And I look like a head teacher that's scolding people. So that's not so good. Now, 1 Kings chapter 19, reading from verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now, I don't know how bad your week has been. <laughs> I don't know how difficult this season has been in your life. I don't know what you've blown or what you've caused, but I hazard a guess there's probably no one chasing you and wanting to kill you. But the day is young. <laughs> Elijah was afraid. <laughs> I think there lies the greatest understatement that you could hear in Scripture. Elijah was afraid. And guess what he did? What do you do when you're afraid? He ran. And he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. This must have been a serious fear attack. And there he sat down under a juniper tree and prayed that he might die. Now, I don't know how it's going so far for you during the sermon, but my hope is that by the end of it, even if that is how you feel today, you may have some hope. Because I'd love to tell you that there have not been times in my life where I haven't prayed similar prayers. Sometimes in the seasons and the difficulties and the circumstances I've had, I've often thought it'd be easier not to be here. And I would pray that God would take me in my sleep. That's what kind of a coward I am. 
When I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You know, we used to teach our children that. Have you ever thought how weird that actually is? Tonight, my young daughter, as you sleep, maybe God will take you. What a bizarre thing we taught our children. But you know, that used to be my prayer, particularly first few years in my journey with God because I really just couldn't get a handle on this Christianity business. I tried everything I could. I fasted. Has anybody fasted? Let me try another question. Has anybody feasted? Yes. See, for many years, I thought that was a typo in the Bible and what it meant was to be feasting, not fasting. Clearly, you can see that I've produced much as a result of that. But I would pray, God, tonight, if it's your will, just let me close my eyes. I'll pray my last prayer to you. And maybe when I open them again, I'll be in your presence. Well, you can clearly see that it didn't work. <laughs> and I figured out that if he gave me another day, then perhaps he had a better way. If I woke in the morning, then maybe God had something to teach me. Maybe God had something to show me. I love the Bible because it keeps things very real for us. Now, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up if you've ever prayed that kind of prayer like I've prayed, but I know enough people to know that life can be difficult. It can be hard. And sometimes the choices we made cause us to end up in places we never imagined we would. So even if you have prayed that prayer, the good news is you're here today. And redemption and restoration and healing is the business of God. So let's carry on reading. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Have you ever thought that of yourself? <laughs> God, maybe if you'd chosen somebody stronger, somebody a little bit more resilient. Does the journey ever get too much for you? Come on, tell the truth. You're in church. Have you not had a day where you thought, God, it would have been easier if A, B, C had have happened? But right in the midst of our humanity, God comes in his tenderness. God comes with grace and he comes with mercy. He knows our frailties well. And even if we find ourselves in a place we never imagined we would, he's there, he's with us, and he's for us. I don't know about you, but that should put a smile on our face today because that's good news, particularly to people like me who are fabulous failures. So he got up and ate and drank again. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him in verse 11, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass you by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and I know they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. And I'm sure the Lord will bless the reading of his word. So Elijah had great seasons. In fact, in the passage before, he had done warfare with the prophets of Baal. And the Lord turned up for him in great power and great authority. His reputation was phenomenal. He had the most incredible sense of the presence of God with him. And everywhere he went, all kinds of wonderful, miraculous and supernatural things would happen around him. And isn't it remarkable that you can go from the mountaintop to the valley of despair overnight? You can go from the high places of God using you extensively to questioning even if being alive is a good thing at all. The truth is about our humanity and the truth is about God's divinity that when they come together, we will have great seasons of God blessing us in our lives. But our humanity will sometimes interrupt those seasons and remind us that we are frail and weak, and often feeling without any sense of value or hope. Elijah was used by God incredibly, but he also was aware of his own humanity. So what do we learn from this story? Well, the first thing we learn from this story is failure is not fatal. It's not the end of your story if you happen to have blown everything apart. In fact, I need to say that a few times today because I recognize in the spirit there are some people who think God has finished with them. If you can manage in the midst of your failure to find him again or allow him to find you, you will find that he will make all things work together for the good of you because he loves you and you love him. Failure doesn't mean defeat. It doesn't mean the end. In fact, when we come to God, it means we can learn and grow in so many great ways. And indeed, Elijah had to learn just how to do that. So how did Elijah fail? Well, the first thing we recognize from the scripture before is that he overestimated his influence. There were problems in the land, difficulties. And because he had been used by God extensively, he got a little bit zealous in his opinion of himself. Can I ask you a quick question? Please stick your hand up. We're probably all in the same boat today. Is there anybody who's ever fallen into that trap? You've believed your own publicity? Man of power for the hour? Woman of wonder? Or is it wonder woman? You found yourself in circumstances where God has used you greatly, and then you found yourself in circumstances where you failed incredibly. Elijah overestimated his influence. He took himself too seriously. And can I just say that? If you are the kind of person who's so, so intense about who you are, you're worried about your reputation, you're conscious of your Facebook status, how many followers you have, you're probably setting yourself up for a downfall. 
Because I've discovered that one day people like you and the next day they don't remember you. I remember returning to a church that I'd pastored for a number of years and I shook hand with somebody whose face I recognized and they said this to me. Many years, eight, nine years of my life. They said, are you new to this fellowship? Now I'd spend hours with this young lady praying with her, trying to help her and she couldn't even remember my face. And then it dawned on her that she knew me from somewhere. And this is what she says. Do you go to Slimming World? I think I know you from somewhere. Do you go to Slimming World? We can all find ourselves in the midst of failure because we've overestimated our reach. Thought we were stronger, thought we were more capable, thought we were more powerful, thought we were more gifted. Failure is a fabulous reminder to us that actually we're not God, that we're just people dependent on his grace, reliant on his mercy, and in desperate need of his power. The second thing that I think Elijah did prior to some of the things we'll pick out in a second is this. Elijah underestimated the sovereignty of God. He overestimated his influence in this chapter in verses 4, 9, and 14. He thought he could do more than he could. He thought he could change more than he could. And he also underestimated the sovereignty of God. What do I mean by that? Well, you see, when God turns up in your life through signs and wonders and miracles, you have a tendency to fall into the trap to think that that's the only way that God can change things. Now, I've been around some of the miraculous stuff for a long time, and I've noticed that people can be impacted by the miraculous and not change. Amen? I used to think that if they saw a miracle, they would have a moment with God where they would see clearly that he is who he says he is. But actually many, many times, people have even received a miracle from God. Supernaturally, God has broken in on their reality and they've come away healed of arthritis and blindness and they've never walked with Jesus. They never came back to the church. What I learned from that is that God does turn up and he does impact people's lives by his miraculous power. And Elijah had seen that many, many times. But God is not just a God of the event. He's not just a God of the spectacular. He's a God of the bread and butter and the ordinary. Many times at the Glasgow church, we would see people come forward and they get so impacted by God. And it was beautiful to see and many of their lives changed. But God spoke to me one day and he said this, an event without a process will never produce the fruitfulness that I desire. So while Elijah was caught up with his own self-importance, and he was also a little bit blind to the sovereign plan of God, thinking that the only way that God can impact the nation and tear down the strongholds in the land would be if he moved in power, what he failed to understand is God's sovereign plan was working itself out. Sometimes the greatest miracle that we can have is that we don't have a miracle. And that by faith today, we walk in the confidence of the goodness of God. Sometimes we're always seeking him for his hand to move when the invitation is for us to move his heart. Sometimes we want God to intervene and to resolve a problem that we may have created and I think I know him a little bit to know that sometimes he wants to include you 
in getting out of the place that you got to by your own choices. If your choices got you somewhere, then your choices with his help can most certainly get you out of that somewhere. And we learn more through process than we perhaps do through things that happen in a miraculous sense. God is the God of process. His mercies are new every morning for a reason, because you're going to need fresh mercy every morning. His faithfulness is great to you and to his plan in your life, because he never sleeps or slumbers until he has accomplished in and through you what he has promised he will do. And you may have had a great moment with him, but did that turn into momentum where you started to live differently as a result of what you discovered? Now, five times in this passage, the word behold is mentioned. And it basically in the Hebrew means pay attention. In other words, right in the midst of all that's happened to Elijah, God is speaking to him, asking again for his attention. Now, let me explain some of the things that I think happened to us on the road to recovery. The first one is found in verse 5. We said that Elijah, running from Jezebel, defeated in his spirituality, broken in his humanity, tries to resolve his problem by finding somewhere to hide. And so in verse 5 of chapter 19, he comes to a place where he tries to sit down and at least gather his thoughts. And he sits down under the juniper tree. I think some version of the Bible call it the broom tree. Now, just so we're clear, it's not some tall, expansive tree. It's probably no more grand than a bush. But such was his appetite for rest, he took the first place that he could find. And the Bible tells us that he, in his own way, was trying to come to terms with what happened to him. Have you ever tried to find a resting place for your soul when you've made the most fabulous mistake? Perhaps in your own thinking, it ended up being a juniper tree, something of your own design and something of your own provision, something that doesn't quite work or fit the purpose that you desire it to. Sometimes when we're trying to see our lives restored, we try to make man-made solutions of shelter and comfort from the storms of life. We want a refuge and we want an answer to the solutions of our pain. So in his exhaustion, he tried an attempt. Instead of running to the place of the Lord or running to the presence of God, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Amen. He didn't go there. He went to an alternative place. I can't tell you how many times when I've blown it with God that I've tried alternative routes to try and find satisfaction. Can anybody identify with that? There's something about that separation from God that just causes me to become anxious of heart and I will do whatever I can do as a quick fix to a large problem in my life, which is usually related to trust. Often or not, when I'm trying to find my own solutions to my problems, I look for something that's immediate, not for something that's eternal. And Elijah is just like all of us in that. We don't like pain, we don't like discomfort, and we want it taken away from us as quickly as possible. But he was exhausted. And the Bible tells us there in verse 5 that he fell asleep. 
I want to just suggest to you that falling asleep might be a good thing whenever you have a problem. Now, those of you who are falling asleep in this meeting, we've got a little electric probes under the seats, and uh, we're just going to remind you that it's not a good thing in this context, but in your road to recovery, it could be a great thing. So out of exhaustion, Elijah falls asleep. And you know, the Lord doesn't come and scold him. He doesn't come and shake him. He doesn't come and disrupt him. In fact, he allows the rest to take place. I noticed today as I was thinking this through that the word restoration, the first part of it is the word rest. And sometimes we want a quick resolution to restoration, but actually God wants to bring us to a place of rest. Let me tell you why I believe that's important, because so often we make bad choices because we're tired. So often we're making decisions in a hurry because we've got so much on. So often we are confused about what is or isn't a right choice, because sometimes it's just the only choice and it's the quickest choice. And that sense of emergency and that sense of tiredness, actually God is resolving with Elijah so Elijah finds his own place to try and bring recovery, and God allows Elijah to rest. Some of the best things that can happen to you in the kingdom of God will come from rest. You see, you can't strive your way back to where you were. You can only abide your way back to where you were. Everything in the kingdom is about relationship. And if I'm trying to strive my way back into relationship with God, then I'm not able or have no capacity to live in his grace. I'm trying to earn something that Christ has already provided for me. In the book of Hebrews, it calls us to enter into his rest. Now listen to me, rest is not inactivity. It's not going on holiday for eternity. And some of us have Mariitis to the point where we've never got up of our blessed assurance and done a thing with our lives. But if you want recovery and you want restoration, rest is a huge part of what God wants to do in that process. And it's in rest that God begins to meet with us. Elijah fell asleep and God provided rest. He remembers that we're frail. He knows our frame and that we actually ultimately are dust. And in that place of physical rest, God begins to move. Look at the second part of verse 5. It says, all at once an angel touched him. I think in the authorized version it says, behold, or at once, in that place of physical rest, the angel of the Lord came to him. The messenger full of mercy turned up for him. The presence of God invaded him. And that special work of restoration grace happened to Elijah at his lowest point. Now, a little bit further down in the text, in around verse 7, it says that this angel was not any ordinary angel. It says it identifies it as the angel of the Lord, a description always used in the Old Testament for a special manifestation of God himself. So this time, in the midst of Elijah's brokenness, it's not the ravens that feed him, nor it is the widow that supplies refuge for him. There's no natural means by which he can bring about his recovery, but the angel of the Lord turns up for him. The man who moved in power now is the man who needs the power of God. 
to come and to do something in his weakness. You know, the presence of God is the most valuable thing, the most incredible experience that can bring restoration to the human soul. Why? Because in his presence, your brokenness is somehow conditioned by his joy. If you're here today and you've made some huge mistakes, I want to remind you this afternoon that if you are in Christ, so are they. And if your mistakes are in Christ, then Christ is enough. He has the power to redeem and to restore everything because not only you are in Christ, but your circumstances are in Christ, your finances are in Christ, your brokenness is in Christ, your failure is in Christ. Someone say amen or I'll just keep going. So God brought about a place of rest for Elijah. Some of us need to start the restoration process with rest. Then God allowed his presence to come. And the God of grace and mercy began to invade the space where Elijah's broken life was lying under the juniper tree. And then we find something else. We see as we read on in verse 6 that not only was the presence of God available to Elijah, not only was there a place that God had provided, even though it was man-made for Elijah, but God started to provide food. It says twice that he told Elijah to eat and to drink. Doesn't that sound like a great holiday to you? I've just come back from Turkey. I've been on an all-inclusive. And I'd like to tell you that I came into partnership with that invitation. I was all-inclusive about eating as much as I could. Well, if it's paid for. Amen? Sometimes the supernatural invites us to something practical. And God begins to do something in Elijah's physicality. He begins to prepare him for the journey ahead. Elijah seemed to be neither surprised by this or overwhelmed by it. And it looks really, as you read the text, that he actually didn't even thank God for this supernatural provision. In the midst of your brokenness and your failure, God will provide you with a place for restoration. It could be a group of people. It could be a place of solitude. Please don't let it be something that you've come up with yourself, as is the case here. But even if that is the case, I trust that the Lord will visit you with his presence. I pray that in your place of recovery, his presence will come in power and glory and authority. Because in the midst of your brokenness, his joy becomes available and your weariness is hidden in his greatness. But he also will provide. One more thing I want to say about this and then we probably will have some prayer. Look at verse 9 with me, please. The second part of it. It says that in verse 9 that the Lord began to speak to him. So we have this place of rest. We have this place of his presence. We have this place of his provision. And now we see that part of the recovery process for all of us is to hear his voice. The voice of God has set the worlds and the universe in motion. 
And when he speaks to us, when he speaks into our lives in the midst of our fracture and our failure, he speaks life and he speaks hope. And church, listen carefully to me. He always speaks truth. And when the word of the Lord comes to us in the midst of our recovery process, please don't misunderstand. He's not giving us advice. He's not one of many counselors. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's speaking out of compassion so that he can lead you into promise. He's speaking into your brokenness so he can restore you by his beauty. He's speaking life where death seems to have invaded you. And his voice is like the sound of many rushing waters, bringing healing and restoration to our souls and to our lives. When we find ourselves floundering in failure, we need a place, we need his presence, we need his provision. In practical terms, so often God has worked miracles in that way for me, but we also need to hear his voice. And God asks Elijah a question. I'm going to leave my thoughts there, if you don't mind, because the question is hanging in the air. Look at it with me, please. He says to Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, the question has many dynamics to it. It's not geographical. God is not surprised at where Elijah has ended up because God sees the end before the beginning and everything in it. And in a similar way, it has the echo of the sound of the question that God asked Adam in the garden. Once again, it's not geographical because God knew exactly where Adam was. So the question has an invitation attached to it. And this is that invitation. In Elijah's case, it's simply this. What do you think has caused you to end up in this place. Now, isn't it excellent of the Lord to help us to understand how we have found ourselves in places we never imagined? Because he is the counselor and the teacher. And he is the one who loves us with perfection at the core of that love to bring about his purposes in our lives. He's not asking the question to make us squirm. He's asking the question to help us learn. How did you get here, Elijah? So when God asks that kind of question and he speaks into our failure, he's trying to help us understand our journey. And why would he do such a thing? Because he wants to teach us his ways that we do not find ourselves in this place of disrepair again. The second reason he asks this question is because he's reminding Elijah of something important. Notice that he doesn't say this. Elijah, what are you doing there? His question is loaded with provision, with presence, with the power of his word, and with the place of his restoration. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? God in the midst of Elijah's brokenness. God with Elijah, God for Elijah, God faithful to Elijah, 
God with power to restore Elijah. Should I keep going? I should keep going? Okay, I was running out of things to say. I was hoping you'd say no. Failure is part of being human. But when we learn from failure, we start to grow extensively in our relationship with God. There is nothing wasted in the kingdom. Even the worst season of your life can become the greatest treasure in your heart if you allow God to provide you with a place, to come to you with his presence, to offer you his provision, and to whisper his word to your heart. Now, if you find yourself in a place today you never imagined you would be, then that's great news. And if you're on a mountaintop today, probably by next week, this is also good news. Because the rhythm of life is not that we consistently grow and aspire to all that is great. We have those passions, but even those who trust in the Lord grow faint and weary, but he is faithful.